Peace be upon you. So Surah 83 of the Quran is entitled The Cheaters, Al-Mutafifin. And it starts off by saying, Woe to the cheaters. And this word, Mutafifin, it has a deeper meaning than just to cheat. It specifically has the connotation of shortchanging someone and not paying them what is fully due. And this is clarified in the following two verses where it continues, it says, who demand full measure when receiving from the people, but when giving them the measures or weights, they cheat. Anyone who knowingly attempts to defraud someone else because they think it will benefit them is showing that they do not believe they will be held accountable for their works and therefore indicating that they don't really believe in the hereafter. Believing in the hereafter is one of the three minimum requirements for a soul to be able to make it back into God's kingdom. In Surah 2 verse 62 and 569 it reads, Surely those who believe, those who are Jewish, the Christians, the converts, anyone who believes in God, believes in the last day, and leads a righteous life will receive their recompense from their Lord. They have nothing to fear, nor will they grieve. That if someone meets these three requirements, then they are guaranteed by God to be able to make it in the hereafter. And this requirement of believing in the hereafter is not simply claiming you believe in the hereafter. Your actions have to correspond with your belief. And if we continue in Surah 83, we see that this is actually what's indicated. It continues starting from verse 4. Do they not know that they will be resurrected on a tremendous day? That is the day when all people will stand before the Lord of the universe. When individuals cheat each other, they're actually making a conscious decision that they think that they can cheat God. This is because God is the one who's setting the scales for each and every individual down to the smallest atom. We read in Surah 99 from verse 1 through 8, it reads, When the earth is severely quaked and the earth ejects its loads, the human will wonder what is happening. On that day it will tell its news that your Lord has commanded it. On that day the people will issue from every direction to be shown their works. Whoever does an atom's weight of good will see it, and whoever does an atom's weight of evil will see it. If we continue reading Surah 83, God informs us of a book that each individual will receive based on if they are destined for paradise or hell. For the unrighteous, God calls their book the Sejin. In Surah 83 verse 7 it reads, Indeed, the book of the wicked is in Sejin. The word Sejin in this context is used as a name, but it also has a meaning in Arabic. It comes from the root Sejin, which means prison. So Sejinin means one's in prison. This root occurs 12 times in the entire Quran. Twice is in Surah 83, nine occurrences in Surah 12 in regards to Joseph's time in prison, and one time in Surah 26 verse 29 by Pharaoh, where he threatened the people hearing the message from Moses and Aaron that if they take another god other than him, that he will surely throw them in prison. So that said, what is the reason that God may have chosen this name, Sejin, for the book of those destined for hell. When an individual sins, they are slowly isolating themselves further and further away from God. Additionally, 
their hearts are becoming more and more hardened and impervious to God's message. These two compounding factors is causing the individual to brick by brick set up their own internal prison for all of eternity in the hereafter. In Surah 18 verse 57 it reads, Who are more evil than those who are reminded of their Lord's proofs? Then disregard them without realizing what they are doing. Consequently, we place shields on their hearts to prevent them from understanding it, the Quran, and deafness in their ears. Thus, no matter what you do to guide them, they can never, ever be guided. These individuals who make the conscious decision through their actions to defy God's commandments by shortchanging people, by cheating people, by thinking they can get the upper hand, by not abiding by God's commandments, are making a decision step by step to imprison themselves for all of eternity. In Surah 2 verse 88, we read about the curse that these individuals have set upon themselves. It says, some would say, our minds are made up. Instead, it is a curse from God as a consequence of their disbelief that keeps them from believing except for a few of them. This expression of our minds are made up in Arabic is gulubuna gulufun, which literally translates to their hearts are uncircumcised. And this is a biblical expression for someone whose mind is impervious to change. Now, someone might ask, isn't that not fair that God is the one who's setting up the, their hearts from uh, being able to receive the message? But this is a personal choice that they made. And all God does is whatever choice we make, God allows us to continue down that path of that choice, giving us free will to make the choice to believe or disbelieve. In Surah 19, verse 75 and 76, it reads, Say, those who choose to go astray, the most gracious will lead them on until they see what is promised for them, either the retribution or the hour. That is when they find out who really is worse off and weaker in power. Individuals who make the decision to change, God designed our brains, our physiology, to reinforce whatever belief it is that we have. This is confirmation bias. And similarly, if you choose to believe, God reinforces that. We read in 1976 as God augments the guidance of those who choose to be guided. For the good deeds are eternally rewarded by your Lord and bring far better returns. This is why on the day of judgment, a person who ends up in hell will have no one to blame but themselves. And we read this in the testimony of Satan on the day of judgment. It reads in Surah 14 verse 22, it says, And the devil will say, after the judgment had been issued, God has promised you the truthful promise. And I promised you, but I broke my promise. I had no power over you. I simply invited you, and you accepted my invitation. Therefore, do not blame me and blame only yourselves. My complaining cannot help you, nor can your complaining help me. I have disbelieved in your idolizing me. The transgressors have incurred a painful retribution. So let's continue reading Surah 83 and see how these ideas correspond with the book of Sejin. It reads, starting from verse 10, it says, Woe on that day to the rejectors. They do not believe in the day of judgment. None disbelieves therein except the transgressor, the sinful. 
When our revelations are recited to him, he says tales from the past. Indeed, their hearts have become shielded by their sins. Indeed, they will be isolated on the day from their Lord. Then they will be thrown into hell. They will be told, this is what you used to deny. So we see these same themes. These individuals who cheat other individuals, who think that they can benefit by doing so, is showing that they do not believe in the day of judgment, that they do not take heed to God's revelations. And by doing this, they are setting up a shield around their hearts from being able to accept the message and ultimately isolating themselves from God on the day of judgment. If we continue reading Surah 83, we then read about the book of the righteous, Ali'in. In Surah 83 verse 18 it reads, Indeed the book of the righteous will be in Ali'in. The name Ali'in also has a meaning in Arabic. It means the elevated ones. So while the unrighteous in the hereafter will be confined in the prison of their own doing, the righteous will be elevated. So why did God choose this name for the book of the righteous? Throughout our lives, God is giving us opportunity after opportunity to elevate ourselves, to think beyond the vanities of this world. But it's up to us if we choose to listen and take heed, or instead opt to stay close to the ground in the material possessions of this world. In Surah 7 verse 175 through 176 we read, Recite for them the news of one who has given our proofs, but chose to disregard them. Consequently, the devil pursued him until he became a strayer. Had God willed, he could have elevated him therewith, but he insisted on sticking to the ground and pursued his opinions. Thus he is like the dog. Whether you pet him or scold him, he pants. Such is the example of people who reject our proofs, narrate these narrations that they may reflect. God is giving us an example. These ordeals, these challenges, these predicaments we get into in our lives are to test us, to see, are we able to rise up to the occasion, to stick with God's commandments, to persevere, to be steadfast, or do we put that all aside and focus of the vanities of this world and neglect our righteous duties? It continues in 7177, it reads, Bad indeed is the example of people who reject our proofs. It is only their own souls that they wrong. Whomever God guides is the truly guided one, and whomever he commits to straying, these are the losers. And this is how God describes the book of the righteous, Aliin. It starts from verse 21, it says, To be witnessed by those close to me. The righteous have deserved a bliss. On luxurious furnishings they watch. You recognize in their faces the joy of bliss. Their drinks will be spiced with nectar. Its spice is like musk. But this is what the competitors should compete for. Mixed into it will be special flavors from a spring that is reserved for those close to me. When God gives us these opportunities to elevate ourselves by doing righteous works, by giving God a loan of righteousness, to have it multiplied for us manifold, God is allowing us to draw closer to Him, to be elevated, to be able to be within His presence in the hereafter. Now one verse that I intentionally skipped over in the description of both Sejin and Aliin 
is that God describes these books as numerically structured books. It reads in Surah 83 verse 7, it says, Indeed, the book of the wicked is in Sajin. Do you know what Sajin is? A numerically structured book. And we see this is identical to how God describes Aliyin, the book of the righteous. Starting from verse 18 through 20, it says, Indeed, the book of the righteous will be in Aliyin. Do you know what Aliyin is? A numerically structured book. In other translations, you'll oftentimes see this verse as a numerically structured book, uh, translated as a written record. But this is not an accurate representation of what's being stated. The Arabic word margum comes from the root ragam, which only occurs three times in the Quran, twice in Surah 83, and with one other occurrence in Surah 18 in regards to the sleepers of the cave and the numbers associated with them. If you look up the meaning of this root, you realize that this has to do with a counting system. But probably the closest English equivalent to the word margum is that of taking tally, where you're putting marks and keeping track of a record. On the Day of Judgment, every soul will be presented with their record. We read in Surah 45, verse 27 through 29, says, To God belongs all sovereignty of the heavens and the earth. The day, the hour comes to pass, that is when the falsifiers lose. You will see every community kneeling. Every community will be called to view their record. Today you get paid for everything you have done. This is our record. It utters the truth about you. We have been recording everything you do. This record that each of us will be presented with on the Day of Judgment will account for every single good deed and every single sin we committed. This is because our entire life, everything we think or do, God is having it recorded. In Surah 10 verse 61, it says, You do not get into any situation, nor do you recite any Quran, nor do you do anything without us being witnesses thereof as you do it. Not even an atom's weight is out of your Lord's control, be it in the heavens or the earth, nor is there anything smaller than an atom or larger that is not recorded in a profound record. God informs us that from the moment we are brought into this world, there are angels recording every single one of our deeds and actions. It reads in 50, 16 through 17, says, We created the human and we know what he whispers to himself. We are closer to him than his jugular vein. Two recording angels at right and left are constantly recording. Not an utterance does he utter without an alert witness. On the day of judgment, we are going to be shocked by the contents of our record. Because while we forget those multitude of times we committed sin, those times where we shortchanged someone, we didn't give them what was fully due. God did not forget. And on the day of judgment, all the sins that anyone committed is going to be presented to them. And it's going to be as clear to them on that day as it was those multitude of times they committed that sin. In Surah 18, verse 47 through 49, it reads, The day will come when we wipe out the mountains and you will see the earth barren. We will summon them all, not leaving out a single one of them. They will be presented before your Lord in a row. You have come to us as individuals, just as we created you initially. Indeed, this is what you claimed will never happen.
the record will be shown. You will see the guilty fearful of its contents. They will say, woe to us. How come this book leaves nothing small or large without counting it? They will find everything they had done brought forth. Your Lord is never unjust towards anyone. Imagine tomorrow you woke up and all your worst deeds you've ever committed throughout your entire life, no matter how small or how large, was all presented on social media for the world to see. How traumatized would you be by such an event? Now take that feeling and amplify it manifold to understand the level of disgrace, shame, and humiliation the people who spent their life committing evil will feel on the Day of Judgment. There's a condition called superior autobiographical memory that some people have where they never forget anything. They have perfect recall to everything that happens. And while this might seem like a superpower, something that is beneficial, it has a lot of negative consequences. One interesting finding about these people is that many of them have troubles maintaining a relationship or overcoming any kind of tragedy. The reason is because each time they reflect back to the situation, back to the event, they relive that event as if it just happened to them with perfect clarity. So 10 years ago, they could have had gotten into an argument with their spouse, but to them, they can recall that memory and feel the same emotions they do the moment that argument took place. And it makes it very hard for them to ever overcome hardship, arguments, fights, because for them, they're reliving that experience every day they think about it. And to me, this is a perfect depiction of hell. Because while in this world we forget, in the hereafter, those who make it to hell will have all these horrendous memories and regrets ingrained in them. And they will reflect on it every moment and feel that remorse, that shame, that disgrace. In Surah 50 Verse 19 through 22, it reads, Finally, the inevitable coma of death comes. That is what you try to evade. The horn is blown. This is the promised day. Every soul comes with a herder and a witness. You used to be oblivious to this. Now we remove your veil. Today your vision is as strong as steel. This veil that keeps us from forgetting all these sins, all these terrible acts we've committed, that allows us to be functional human beings in life. This blessing is removed on the Day of Judgment. And from then on, that individual for all of eternity will instantly have to reflect and contemplate on all these terrible things they've done. And there is no hiding from that. All of us have committed sin in our lives. We have committed acts that we are not proud of. Many of these shortcomings we probably forgot. But some of them will probably stay with us our whole lives. And imagine if there is no repentance, there is no redemption, there is no ability for us to wipe our slate clean and have to live with that for all of eternity. Now, no one wants these sins that they've committed in the past to haunt them, not only in this life, but for all of eternity in the hereafter. So how do we protect ourselves from these sins of our past to make sure that that never happens? God provides us the ability to repent and reform 
And God will not only transform these sins into credits, but he will wipe these sins off our record. In Surah 25, verse 70, it reads, Exempted are those who repent, believe, and lead a righteous life. God transforms their sins into credits. God is forgiver, most merciful. In Surah 13, verse 39, it says, God erases whatever he wills and fixes. With him is the original master record. Imagine the people who make it to heaven. And the glow they have to know that their record has been redacted from anything that is going to be uh, hurtful towards them from other individuals knowing. That God has saved their record. And not only that, not only did he redact it, he transformed those sins into credits. Something they're going to be happy to see. Think of an individual who had an addiction to intoxicants. Now, if they currently still have that addiction, it might be shameful to discuss. But if they were able to turn their lives around and show how they were able to overcome that addiction, people see that as a great success. And all of a sudden, these negative things that happened in the past are transformed into positive events that led them to where they are. Repentance is single-handedly one of the greatest gifts God has given human beings. But it's not something to be taken lightly or to be abused. Some people think that they can commit all the sin they want and then just repent and be righteous afterwards. But anytime we think we have discovered a loophole in God's system, know that we are only fooling ourselves. God is the one who allows us to repent. God is the one who opens our hearts to repentance. Repentance occurs in two steps. The first is being genuinely remorseful for what we have committed. And the second is the reformation that we don't fall in the sin again and again. In Surah 3 verse 135 it reads, If they fall in sin or wrong their souls, they remember God and ask forgiveness for their sins. And who forgives the sins except God? And they do not persist in sins knowingly. And that's the crux, that we do not persist in sins knowingly. Now God knows we're weak, but we can't use the excuse of repentance to be able to commit sin. If we abuse this blessing, then the best case we will suffer tremendously in this world for the consequence of our actions before we can be redeemed. In Surah 4 verse 62 it says, How will it be when a disaster hits them as a consequence of their own works? They will come to you then and swear by God our intentions were good and righteous. God is the one who's setting the scales. If we think that, oh, I'm going to go commit sin, benefit myself, and then just simply repent afterwards, it's no different than the individual who shortchanges someone and says, hey, you know what, uh, I'll ask for uh, repentance later. It doesn't work that way. We cannot think we can outsmart God. God is the one who sets the scales. And if we commit sins knowingly, God is going to make us pay the price for it. In Surah 7, verse 169, we read, Subsequent to them, he substituted new generations who inherited the scripture, but they opted for the worldly life instead, saying, We will be forgiven. But then they continued to opt for the materials of this world. Did they not make a covenant to uphold the scripture and to not say about God except the truth? Did they not study the scripture? Certainly, the abode of the hereafter is far better for those who maintain righteousness. Do you not understand? Take the example of the brothers of Joseph, who thought that they could kill Joseph, or they ultimately decided to throw him into the well, and then afterwards they could be righteous. 
In Surah 12, verse 9, we read about this scheme from Joseph's brothers. It reads, Let us kill Joseph or banish him, that you may get some attention from your father. Afterwards, you can be righteous people. Now, how did that work out for them? Did they get that love and attention they expected from their father by committing such a heinous act? They thought that they could get the upper hand. They thought that, oh, simply we'll just repent, then we'll be righteous, God will forgive us. What they didn't realize was God was the one who was planning everything, that they could not outsmart God. And because of this, they paid a huge price. We read about it in Surah 12, 88 through 90. It reads, when they entered Joseph's quarters, they said, oh, you noble one, we have suffered a lot of hardship along with our family, and we have brought inferior goods. But we hope that you will give us full measure and be charitable to us. God rewards the charitable. These individuals suffered tremendously. They're, they were providing inferior goods. They were on the verge of famine. And they were begging Joseph, this brother that they abandoned, that they left for dead, to be charitable to, towards them, to deal with them in a generous manner. In 1289, we read what Joseph's response is to them. It says, Do you recall what you did to Joseph and his brother when you were ignorant? They said, You must be Joseph. He said, I am Joseph, and here's my brother. God has blessed us. That is because if one leads a righteous life and steadfastly persevere, God never fails to reward the righteous. We cannot think that we can shortchange others and then expect God to treat us fairly. We cannot knowingly commit sin or atrocious acts and then simply think, oh, I'll just repent and then afterwards everything's going to be fine. When we do that, we're just showing that we do not trust that God is running everything, that God is the one who's setting the scales, that God is allowing us to even be able to repent. Alternatively, if a person does not take heed despite the consequences they endured, the outcome that is even worse is that they become so far astray that they may begin to think that their evil deeds are righteous. Joseph's brothers still achieved a huge blessing that despite the hardship they faced, that they came to the realization that what they did was wrong and they implored God for forgiveness. But what about the people who don't take heed despite the warnings, despite the consequences? In Surah 6, verse 43, we read, If only they implored when our test afflicted them. Instead, their hearts were hardened, and the devil adorned their works in their eyes. That despite the consequences they faced because of their actions, that this caused their hearts to become harder, and they became further astray. In Surah 35, verse 8, it reads, Note the one whose evil work is adorned in his eyes, until he thinks that it is righteous. God thus sends astray whoever wills to go astray, and he guides whoever wills to be guided. Therefore, do not grieve over them. God is fully aware of everything they do. So those who suffer the consequences, and because of that, they came to the realization that what they did was wrong, and they genuinely repent and reform, that is still a major blessing compared to those who suffer the consequences because of their actions, but then, despite that, they still choose to go further and further away from God. One of the most painful things for an investor to contemplate is the investment they knew about but opted not to partake in that ended up becoming a huge success. Any investment in this world is a pittance 
compared to the greatest investment of our lives for the hereafter. These individuals who hear the message but choose not to take heed are going to miss out on the greatest gains that could possibly be imagined in the hereafter. To put this in perspective, think about the poorest person on this planet and compare them against the richest individual. The differences on the hereafter are going to be far greater from those who are in hell, from those who make it to heaven. In Surah 17 verse 21, it says, Note how we preferred some people above others in this life. The differences in the hereafter are far greater and far more significant. In Surah 3 verse 185, it reads, Every person tastes death, then you receive your recompense on the day of resurrection. Whoever misses hell barely and makes it to paradise has attained a great triumph. The life of this world is no more than an illusion. Therefore, the best thing anyone can do to keep their sins from haunting them for all of eternity and to partake in the greatest investment opportunity of our lives is when we are given the opportunity to do right, we don't do wrong. In Surah 69, verse 18 through 29, it reads, On that day you will be exposed, nothing of you can be hidden. As for the one who receives his record with his right hand, he will say, Come read my record. I did believe and I was going to be held accountable. He has deserved a happy life in an exalted paradise. Its fruits are within reach. Eat and drink happily in return for your works in the days past. As for him who is given his record in his left hand, he will say, Oh, I wish I never received my record. I wish I never knew my account. I wish my death was eternal. My money cannot help me. All my power is gone. God willing, we're going to end there. If you guys got comments or questions, please hit us up at crontalk at gmail.com. If you want to follow along the verses of the Quran, please download the Quran Study app on the iOS App Store. And if you like the podcast, please share it or leave us a review. And until next time, peace and God bless.